0: to WMNF 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. You're listening to the Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. Next Tuesday is the last day to vote. You can find information about early in-person voting and mail voting on our website WMNF.org. One issue that seems to be motivating people to the polls is the future of abortion access in Florida. We're going to examine that issue in this hour. Later on, we're going to bring on a guest from Progress Florida to talk about it. First up, we're going to hear from people who work for Planned Parenthood. They spoke during a press conference in October. In June, the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization overturned the constitutional right to abortion in the United States. Since then, several states have passed restrictions on abortion procedures. That has inspired people in Florida and elsewhere to consider how officials running for office may affect access to abortion. So during this show, I'd like you to think about this issue and what you have to say about it and whether that's motivating you to vote and why. You can, of course, call us, 813-239-9663. You can email dj at wmnf.org. You can text 813-433-0885. In the first half of the show, I'm going to be focusing mostly on texts and emails. Please sign your text if you can, which you can, so please do. Thank you. So, let's hear from these people from Planned Parenthood. Here is what Alexandra Mandanad, Mandando, that is, who is president and CEO of Planned Parenthood of Southeast and North Florida has to say about abortion access in Florida.
1: Since the Supreme Court eliminated our federal constitutional right to abortion, the doctor and health center manager you will meet today, have seen firsthand the effects of total and near total abortion bans spreading across the southern US and the impact that has compounded by Florida's own ban on abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy, which has been in effect since July 1st. Today, you will hear stories of families facing desperate situations. You'll hear providers describe the clear and tragic consequences of banning abortion. The sad fact is that today it is not safe to be pregnant in this country. Because of Florida's cruel abortion ban and bans even harsher surrounding states, people are being denied essential health care. Some may be able to afford to travel to other states for care. Some will be forced to stay pregnant against their will and bear the risks that come with it. And surely some will die because their providers were forced to delay or withhold care because of laws that criminalize abortion. Here in Florida, the fallout of Roe being overturned is already significant. Since June, Planned Parenthood of South, East and North Florida has seen more than double the number of patients at our clinics closest to the state border in Jacksonville, Gainesville, and Tallahassee. Many of these patients are fleeing states like Georgia and Alabama, where abortion is almost or completely banned. We're seeing an increase in youth, people who are poor, survivors of domestic abuse, rape, and incest. None of whom had any longer have any say over their own bodies if they're more than 15 weeks pregnant. And we are seeing patients who do not realize that Florida has this abortion ban or who did not know that they are past 15 weeks of pregnancy. Our sister affiliate, Planned Parenthood of Southwest and Central Florida, shared that one of their first patients denied care under our state's abortion ban was a new mother who was experiencing symptoms, chronic fatigue, nausea, vomiting, that she and multiple doctors had attributed to long COVID. After weeks of doubt, She took a pregnancy test and found that she was unexpectedly pregnant. When she arrived at Planned Parenthood, she learned that she was not only past the 11-week eligibility point for her chosen medication abortion, but past the limit of our state's abortion ban. Staff across Florida's Planned Parenthood affiliates, indeed, at affiliates across the country, report that patients are frustrated Sad and frightened. It is so difficult for our staff to tell patients, I'm sorry, we cannot provide your abortion here, and send them out of state for care, especially when they have already made the journey to see us. Our patients wonder how they can possibly leave Florida for care when they must take care of their families, their new babies, their school aged children their elderly parents. They worry about affording the journey on a meager paycheck and about losing their jobs for missing work. And they are outraged that they have been robbed of the ability to decide what is best for their own bodies and their lives. But our staff is there for people who turn to us for care. Nurses and healthcare assistants hold patients' hands and explain their options to them. Our patient navigators help coordinate travel and lodging for those who must now go to states like North Carolina, Virginia, and Illinois, offering financial support to defray the expense, which for many people threatens to be an insurmountable burden. Our staff is also helping the many patients who have been forced to travel here because abortion is no longer legal in their state. They offer support like gas and meal vouchers, and they make sure patients know they can lean on our providers when they arrive for care. If a patient who has driven hundreds of miles for an abortion finds themselves in need of a two day procedure when they had only planned for one, our patient navigators find the patient a place to stay. Recently, at one of our health centers in northern Florida, a young girl arrived for an abortion after traveling with her family from several states away. When she arrived, she did not have shoes due to the difficult economic circumstances she was living in. A lot of our patients are living in poverty or near poverty conditions. So a member of the staff of the health center, ran out to purchase some for her. They wanted to make sure that this girl who was suffering another trauma by being forced to leave her home for medical care was comfortable. While this young girl's story is shocking, unfortunately, it is not uncommon. Planned Parenthood of South, East and North Florida and abortion providers across the state have always, always cared for young people. For sexual violence survivors, for mothers, for people experiencing any number of complex circumstances. What differs now is that our patients face higher barriers to care created by cruel, inhumane abortion bans. This is the reality of providing abortion, especially in the post-Roe era.
0: That's Alexandra Mondado who is president and CEO of Planned Parenthood of South, East, and North Florida. You're listening to 88.5 FM, WMNF Tampa. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan. It is 1014 in the morning, and we're talking this hour about voting and about how people are using it as a motivation abortion laws in the Southeast and across the U.S. and especially here in Florida. Later on in the show, we're going to bring on a guest from Progress, Florida. We'll also be taking your calls later. And right now I can read your emails if you send them at dj at wmnf.org or if you text 813-433-0885 and sign your name. Hey, look, if there's a reason you need to be anonymous, that's fine too. Uh, Just let me know that. didn't mean to put pressure on you earlier. So please feel free to text us at 813-433-0885. Well, next up, we're going to hear, um, Dr. Shelly Tien. She's an OBGYN and an abortion provider at Planned Parenthood of South East and North Florida. You are listening to WMNF Tampa.
2: I provide compassionate abortion care, and I also care for women who have high risk pregnancies. Um, And so in kind of looking at the effects of the the 15 week ban in Florida, um, and also what's occurred nationwide, um, uh, we know that 15 weeks is arbitrary. Uh, It is early in the second trimester. um, And we know as with any barriers and restrictions, the people and the patients and the families that are most profoundly affected are those who Are already disproportionately um, affected by um, uh, difficulties, Um, whether it is living in poverty or near poverty, um, families who are facing uh, food insecurity, families who are facing economic insecurity. And, you know, Alex had mentioned um, we had a very, very young patient who showed up after traveling many, many miles to our clinic um, without shoes, without kind of a very, very basic uh, necessities. And I, I, I don't think that um, probably anybody in this, in this conference call can imagine what that must be like to not be able to provide for your own children, your own family, something as basic as shoes, as clothing. Um, and this is really the reality of the, the people's lives that, that we are seeing. Um, We had another patient um, who was also quite young and adolescent um, who came to our clinic and she was pregnant as a result of incest. She was an incest survivor. And we were not able to care for her because she was past 15 weeks. Um, And uh, that is heartbreaking. As physicians, as healthcare providers, you know, as, as Alex and as Laura has mentioned, um, you know, caring for families from all circumstances, um, uh, um, f- w- whether it be violence, um, whether it be um, um, you know supportive circumstances, it's it's our our calling and it's our creed as physicians and healthcare providers. And to not be able to provide that service because of a restriction. Um, for a patient um, in such a terrible and violent situation it it is horrible. Um, This patient um, uh, with the support of our our patient care navigators um, we had to send her to another health center out of state Um, and we are very lucky here that we have patient care navigators that can help kind of coordinate the the complexities and the nuances of, of that um, but that is a, another additional delay and barrier that that young girl should not need to face. Um, as you know, HB5, the 15-week ban, does not have an exception for rape um, or incest. Um, and it is horrifying to me that in a lot of the, the public discourse on abortion and abortion restrictions and exceptions that we are so dismissive of violence and the impact of violence for women and girls. And so violence is unfortunately not a rare thing. If you look at statistically about 20, 25% of women and girls experience some sort of violence in their lifetime. And so a pregnancy as a result of this is not Uh, a a rare thing it's it's something that we see it's something that we see as healthcare providers it's something that we see as obstetricians and um, providers of abortion care Um, and uh, to not um, be able to support women and girls and provide women and girls an ability to decide what happens to their body um, when they feel ready to have a pregnancy when they feel ready to bear children, especially in the context of something um, as horrible as rape and incest is really unfathomable. Um, I, I think it's really important that we actually talk about what violence is for, for our patients. Um, the, these are um, oftentimes multiple repeated events um, that completely shape the arc of people's lives, um, especially um, in in youth and in childhood. Um, they affect um, women and girls' ability to trust, you know, to have healthy relationships, to trust their own family members. Um, and then, of course, have consequences um, such as such as pregnancies, unplanned pregnancies, um, health effects of pregnancies and pregnancy complications, um, and to, so to to not be able to provide um, this care uh, for violent survivors is really just devastating. The other thing that we have seen um, and and this is not surprising um, because it's reflected in the literature is that the women who we have to turn away because they are past fifteen weeks um, are also women who are quite young um, it may be their first pregnancy they may not realize um, how far along they are in pregnancy um, women who are in active um, domestic violence or intimate partner um, situ- intimate partner violence situations that they are trying to um, escape um, and then also women who have desired pregnancies that that start out pregnancy healthy but that develop, maternal or fetal indications that can frequently happen after 15 weeks. Um, And so truly we are seeing um, this restriction have profound and terrible effects um, uh, for some families in in the most desperate um, of situations. Um, You know, I I feel uh, tremendously fortunate and lucky um, that even with um, kind of the 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 influx of patients that we've seen and the number of patients that we've seen um, that we have such tremendous um, um, dedicated and committed staff members um, that have come in early um, that have stayed very late into the evening to care for patients um, it is not unusual that we are, that staff members have stayed much, much later into any <laughs> evening work hours, 9 p.m., 10 p.m., 11 p.m., um, that we have staff coming in on their days off uh, to provide care, that we have staff um, demonstrate tremendous flexibility and creativity um, to try to help patients navigate the additional burdens and barriers uh, to care.
0: That's Dr. Shelly Tien, an OBGYN and an abortion provider at Planned Parenthood of South East and North Florida. You're listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. I'm Sean Canaan. This is WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. Today, we're talking about voting and about the issue of abortion and how abortion is impacting people how people vote in Florida. And we're going to be talking about that in just a little bit with our guest from Progress Florida. And I'd also like you to weigh in as well. You can give us an email at dj at wmnf.org, or you can text 813-433-0885. Jerome texts in and says, for the rights of the unborn and against the rights of the child, it's confusing to say the least. I wonder how much of this issue is based on religion. If the church is separate from state and the church is untaxed, why is it so involved in our laws? That's a question that Jerome sends us by texting 813-433-0885. So if you'd like to weigh in and let us know about uh, this issue and whether you're, whether it's impacting your voting, give us a call or at 813-239-9663 and we'll get you on later in the show or text us now, 813-4330-885 or email dj at wmnf.org. We're going to hear more from Planned Parenthood of the South, East, and North Florida. Here's their Tallahassee Health Center manager, Ina McDonald.
3: I'm involved in day-to-day and a lot of what Alex just um, shared with you earlier. In addition to managing a health center, uh, we now are having to be counselors, provider, um, providers of basic uh, human needs like clothing and food, uh, travel agents, helping them get um, lodging when needed. Um, at both our Tallahassee and Jacksonville centers, prior to row falling, we saw about 30 to 40 patients a day. Uh, Now, on a typical day, we're seeing an average of 80 to 85 patients a day. That's doubled um, our schedules. Um, We are seeing patients from states like Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Texas, Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, pretty much the South. Um, The reality is a lot of our patients do not have a lot of money. Having to fly or rent cars or figure out transportation, this is a huge, huge stressor and burden for many of our patients. We recently helped a a Florida patient who needed to go to a major medical center in Pennsylvania due to her physician here in Florida detecting a severe fetal diagnosis, a condition that threatened the woman's life. Uh, It was difficult, very dangerous. It was a very dangerous pregnancy for her. And because we are no longer able to care for patients past 15 weeks we wanted to make sure she went to the best hospital we could find for her situation she had several children already she had nobody to watch them uh, with uh, every week that passed that she couldn't find child care her pregnancy became more dangerous for her we know from experience that a patient with child care issues is at risk for not even showing up for their flights their appointments out of state simply because they can't find child care you know, and that's that's a hard thing to, to have to, you know, realize that people are in these situations. Um, we also recently had a patient that was over 15 weeks, experienced domestic violence. Um, her partner forced her to share cell phones. So we couldn't, we had to be very careful in how we contacted her. Couldn't just call and say Planned Parenthood. Um, we were only able to get her a flight booked the day before her appointment so that she could quickly fly there and back in order to avoid her partner being becoming suspicious. Once, the patients, once patients leave the health center, it's often very hard for us to get in contact with them again for various reasons, whether it's their own personal safety concerns, inability to find childcare, or having to work long hours. This ban is affecting not only the patients that need the treatment, but the families and the people who support them. Um, I met a, a single mother from Louisiana uh, who had to have her elderly father drive her to, her to our health center, 500 miles here, 500 miles back, <laughs> the same day, all in one day, uh, just for her to be able to get the care that she needed. Uh, she was really close to being ineligible for care under Florida's 15-week ban, but thankfully we were able to help her. Uh, she had young children at home already one that was on a feeding tube and had complex medical needs so she couldn't afford to stay over the night we offered it um, to be able to have her give her some kind of comfort uh, but she had to get back home so her father had to drive her um, back home after that procedure uh, she couldn't she couldn't afford child care she couldn't arrange more than one day worth of um, of arrangements so she had to go back home um, a lot of our patients already have other family members to take care of. The past few months for me and my patients have been very taxing. Many of them arrived anxiously after a long car ride. They were stressed all the way to our health center and worried about, you know, if they're going to make it here on time, getting into an accident, worrying about traffic, anything that could miss, make them miss their appointments. The distance is just a great burden. They are grateful, however, that we are, you know, that they are being seen, but a lot of the time they're anxious, scared, and worried they will not be able to receive the care after their long journey for one reason or another. Um, (laughs) Having to go through so much to get to us is a huge mental and emotional strain on them. Our patients are more stressed than they have ever been before. Tallahassee is truly the first access point for abortion care for so many living in restrictive states. Uh, We are the light at the end of the tunnel when you cross that southern border coming into Florida. I am glad that I am the first face they see. I want to be that person. I like being that first point of contact to comfort them and tell them that I will do whatever I can to get them the care that they need. But it shouldn't have to be this way. We all deserve the freedom and power to make decisions about our own bodies. But it's illustrated these heartbreaking stories that freedom is being stripped away. On a final note, a personal note, um, I don't know if any of you follow the hit series Game of Thrones. But the tagline in that series through the whole series is winter is coming. Well, folks, I'm here to tell you that November <laughs> is coming and we all need to get out and vote.
0: Well, that is Ina McDonald, the Planned Parenthood of South, East, and North Florida Tallahassee Health Center Manager. And you're listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. You might also be listening on WMNF.org, or maybe you told your smart speaker to play WMNF or maybe you're listening on the great WMNF app. Well, we're talking today about election in the election in Florida, which is next Tuesday is the last day to vote. You can find information about early in-person voting and mail voting on our website, wmnf.org. And one issue that seems to be motivating people as they go to the polls is the future of abortion access in Florida. So we'll, we ha- I have some more clips from the uh, Planned Parenthood, but right now I'm going to bring on my guest who is from Progress, Florida, Welcome to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, Amy Weintraub, who is the Reproductive Rights Program Director at Progress Florida. Thanks so much for joining me.
4: Oh, thanks for having me, Sean. It's good to be here to talk about this critical issue.
0: I'm glad you could come on the show today. I think it's a, something that people are asking about and talking about. And so I want to have this conversation and have people be able to weigh in. And we're going to hear some people who have already emailed and texted in. Also, people are welcome to call in 813 239 9663. So let's back up a bit. This year, the Florida legislature passed and Governor Ron DeSantis signed a new law that makes most abortions illegal in Florida after 15 weeks of gestation. We heard from Planned Parenthood providers about about that law. But what would you what, what's your thoughts about what's happened since that law passed?
4: Yeah, I mean, you heard from the providers about the the people, the patients who are in need of care for a lot of different reasons, who are now having to be sent out of state for this basic health care that could easily be provided by, by physicians all over the state. But because of this arbitrary ban, 15 weeks before many people know about fetal problematic fetal diagnosis, et cetera. Um, you know they're not able to get that, and it is it is absolutely cruel and a, a needless needless expense and worry and trouble for for people who need the care.
0: And groups were challenging this legally. Where do the legal challenges stand against this law?
4: Yeah, they're still it's still making they're still making their way through the courts, and as is the case, you know, often with things, and and time after time, you know, judges have opted not to put a stay on the, on the bill until it was resolved. Instead, they're allowing um, the law to stand. It went into effect on July 1st.
0: I want to remind people that our guest is Amy Weintraub, Reproductive Rights Program Director at Progress Florida, and you're listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. I'm Sean Canaan, and this is WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. It's 1033 in the morning, and we'd like you to weigh in on this subject as well. You can text us at 813-433-0885. You can email dj at wmnf.org, and uh, we can also call 813-239-9663. A couple of people... I uh, have written already. So let me read one of those, and we can uh, we can discuss, Amy. So I get a text here from the nine four one area code that says, I find nothing on my sample ballot pertaining to abortion. What would you say to that person in the nine four one area code?
4: Well, it, it's going to take there's no there's no ballot measure right now on this ballot. That's true that pertains to abortion, but it's all over the ballot because, um, what we have to do is do a little bit more digging and find out how the candidates on the ballot stand on this issue. Do their values match up with our values? And so that takes looking at, um, at information such as at the League of Women Voters website, which is Vote411, and reading about the candidates and how they answer specific questions about their intent to vote on abortion rights legislation.
0: In February, the Public Opinion Research Lab at the University of North Florida released a statewide poll of registered voters. They found the majority of respondents, 57%, opposed that law either strongly or somewhat, with 34% supporting either somewhat or strongly. So here's a law that passed in Florida, even though it looks like about 57 to 34% opposed this the this bill as it was being presented to the Florida legislature. Why is it that abortion policy in Florida is so out of step with how Floridians feel?
4: Well it's it's just one of many policies that are that the legislature is out of step with how the general public feels, with how the electorate feels and we can thank gerrymandering or unfair districting for that. Um, and That is that is just a sad fact that the way that the district, the voting districts are set up is going there's always going to be um, bias for the party who drew those lines and so not only is the legislature out of sync with most of uh, Floridians and and most Americans on this issue, which is abortion rights, but also on things like gun safety, environmental concerns. I mean, the list goes on and on. uh, uh, Voting rights, um, civil rights, et cetera.
0: I want to remind people that our guest is Amy Weintraub, the Reproductive Rights Program Director at Progress Florida. And you're listening to WMNF Tampa's Midpoint Sorry, this isn't midpoint anymore. It's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan, and we are uh, discussing the election that happens that ends in seven days. A lot of us have already voted, and a lot of people are voting today in early in-person voting and, or dropping their mail. Ballots off, or maybe even dropping them into the mail. Although it is getting, I've, I'm a little PSA here. It's getting a little late to start to start mailing your ballots in. You still have maybe a day or two to do that, but they have to be po- they have to be arrived at the Supervisor of Elections office by next Tuesday. So maybe some people are dropping them off at the early voting locations or at the Supervisor of Elections office if you have a mail ballot. You can also exchange your mail ballots at the early voting sites or at your poll location on election day and get a new ballot to vote. All that said, we're talking about how the abortion issue is affecting the uh, the election in Florida. During his debate with Ron DeSantis, Charlie Crist brought up the story of a schoolgirl from Florida who was the victim of incest and had to travel out of state to get an abortion. Just a few minutes ago, we heard from uh, an abortion provider in North Florida tell that same story. What do we know about the story of the, the, I I almost said woman, but um, she's, I think, 15 years old who had to travel out of Florida because it was too late for her to get an abortion in Florida?
4: Well, what we know is that the network that Planned Parenthood has set up um, of, of relationships with providers and abortion funds across the country can work if the person gets to the right, you know, to the right health care provider. And independent abortion providers also are doing a bang up job of making sure that their patients get the care that they need. And this young person's um, situation is dire and thank goodness she was able to get to that you know get to the local provider who got her to the out-of-state provider and I'm sure that there was funding uh, fund- funding assistance too but the, she is just one example of the literally thousands of people who are impacted by abortion restrictions and as was pointed out in the in the remarks made in the first part of this hour, Um, It is the people who are already facing multiple systemic barriers to economic, um, economic health, to, to actual physical health, to accessing the care that they need aside from abortion, who are most impacted. And of course, in this, what we're talking about people who already are, are poor, people who are young, recent immigrants, people who are marginalized because of perhaps because of their sexuality. I can go on and on, but those are the people we're hurting with this kind of stuff. Folks with resources will probably always be able to get the care they need. But we're making it much harder for people who, who who don't have those resources.
0: Another marginalized group that the CEO of Planned Parenthood of Southeast and North Florida said talked about earlier that where they're they're seeing more people in that group coming to seek abortion care in Florida are survivors of rape or incest. And so that's uh, in addition to, as you were mentioning, young people and poor people who traditionally have a difficult time accessing resources. I want to remind people that we're we're speaking with Amy Weintraub, who is the Reproductive Rights Program Director at Progress Florida. This is WMNF Tampa's Tuesday Cafe. I want to read a question that came in by email from Jeff, and he says, I believe women's rights are important, and I had thought that this was the position of the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party has the presidency and a majority of the House and Senate for some time now. Why was abortion rights not codified into law as soon as the Democrats had this power? So, Amy, I, I don't think you're representing the Democratic Party, but uh, do you have a response to Jeff?
4: Well, uh, although technically there there were there was a majority, the majority of um, it wasn't, it wasn't strong enough. And there are Democrats in Congress who are anti-abortion and who would never vote correctly on this issue. And that includes Joe Manchin from my home state of West Virginia, just as an example, um, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, so that, that is pretty much the reason why they, uh, they're, of course, the leadership in both the US House and Senate would love to see Roe codified, but they just haven't had the votes.
0: Well, I also just got an email here. uh, Sorry, it's a text message from 813 that says, please tell your listeners to also research the backgrounds of court appointments as well. And and this person posits that currently there are only two that should be maintained. And I want to point people to the direction of WMNF.org where Janet and Tom Sherberger have done two excellent articles on WMNF.org about whether or not Supreme Court justices in Florida should be retained that are on the ballot this year. So you can go to WMNF.org and search for Supreme Court, for example, and you'll find those two articles that, are, that were done by the hosts of our next program, which is Wavemakers with Janet and Tom Sherberger. So uh, please, I, I encourage people to read those articles and to listen to the, those stories. Uh, but so let me ask Amy that. Amy, what would you say about the um, researching the background of court appointments?
4: I cannot overstate how much courts matter in, um, you know, in in policy and around this issue specifically, but many, many others as well. And so who is sitting on the bench at all levels of court makes such a difference um, in our in our actual lived experience and absolutely um, taking you know, getting information that 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 you need to make an informed decision to be ready to vote to make sure that those people who are on the court line up with your core values is critical and I I have seen slates offered by um, the the parties uh, around Tampa Bay that offer advice on those retention votes.
0: And earlier, you mentioned the Vote Four One One site from the League of Women Voters. Do they have does that site, the League of Women Voters of Florida, does that does that have good information about judicial appointments?
4: It does have information. the The judicial um, the 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 folks up for reinstatement have um, answered some. Some of them have answered questions, and so there is some information to be found on those judicial appointments at Vote Four One One.
0: Our guest is Amy Weintraub, the Reproductive Rights Program Director at Progress Florida. It is 1042 in the morning and you're listening to WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan on 88.5 FM and on the WMNF app. So if if Governor Ron DeSantis is reelected and if the Florida legislature stays slanted toward Republicans as it's expected to do, what do we know about their future plans for further restricting abortion in Florida?
4: There's a lot of talk right now that it is higher on the agenda than we could have hoped of uh, of a second DeSantis term. And I mean, there's even there there are there are people saying that it will it could be part of a of a special session in the fall. And uh, you know, Ron DeSantis is an extreme. Anti-abortion governor, and not only will he sign anything the legislature passes, but he will push them to to uh, restrict abortion as much as as much as possible. And so it is it is a very very serious situation. And I really really hope voters will keep that in mind as they not only as they vote, but as they as they talk to their friends and neighbors and children and grandchildren about the importance of voting and making sure that those of us who care about reproductive freedom and our abilities to, um, to determine our own life's path are reflected.
0: I want to continue to read a couple of the emails that have come in, but I want to remind people that you can call 813-239-9663 if you'd like to tell us your thoughts about this issue and voting. You can also email dj at wmnf.org. You can also text 813-433-0885. Please sign your name if you are willing to sign your name when you text us. Uh, And I am reading this email here from David. He says, I'd like to know how many of these politicians have had secret abortions for their girlfriends or for female candidates for themselves. I think they're a bunch of hypocrites. And David continues. He says, although I don't like Herschel Walker and I hope he doesn't win in Georgia, I do find it interesting that he's being targeted for ordering secret abortions for his girlfriends. But why don't white politicians get targeted for this too? David concludes by saying, I think it's more of an issue in the media for Walker because he's black. And so David would like to know what you think about all of those issues.
4: Uh, I totally understand where you're coming from, David. And um, it is, you know, it is an interesting situation. And I do think that more people need to be called out when they are um, being hypocritical about the policies they pass versus their own lives and, and the choices that they personally make. We see it all the time, don't we? And it is unfortunate that um, you know, that the Republican Party in Georgia has found a candidate who who's black, but yet, you know, is has has, you know, clearly made a lot of bad decisions and is is easy for the for folks to target, for the media to target, it's et cetera. etc. Um, I do know that Everyone needs access to abortion care, no matter what, no matter what their political party is. And, you know, we hear tales all the time of people who are actually anti-abortion activists, like out on the out in front of clinics protesting and harassing patients. And then suddenly one day they themselves need access to abortion care. And so, yeah, these um, judgmental shaming people who who do all sorts of things to stigmatize people's access to care. I mean, they, are, they need that care too. Republicans need abortions, Democrats need abortions, people with no party affiliation need abortions for sure.
0: Our guest is Amy Weintraub, the Reproductive Rights Program Director at Progress Florida. I'm going to play another short clip from that uh, Planned Parenthood press conference th- that we heard from earlier. This is Ina McDonald again. She's the Planned Parenthood. I'm sorry. We're going here ag- again from Dr. Shelley Tien. She's an OBGYN and an abortion provider at Planned Parenthood of Southeast and North Florida. She's responding here to a in this quick response, she has a response to the, a question about the impact that abortion bans are having in Florida and across the Southeast after the Dobbs decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. So here's Dr. Shelley Tien from Planned Parenthood.
2: Absolutely. Uh, not just in Florida, but in any state. Um, rural areas can be very much medically underserved. Um especially with OB, especially with pregnancy. Um, And so in areas where there aren't enough physicians or healthcare providers or even healthcare centers, um, a lot of patients um, uh, may get delayed um, just even to see a physician. Um, That can lead to uh, delays in diagnosis um, specific to pregnancy and pregnancy complications that can arise, either maternal health complications um, or or fetal health uh, complications. A lot of those um, things require kind of a touch point with the medical system. So evaluation, um, diagnosis, discussion of treatment options and treatment whether that be a maternal health condition, let, let's say um, uh, very bad nausea and vomiting that occurs in pregnancy, early onset diabetes that occurs in pregnancy, um, or um, a fetal condition um, that requires um, specialized uh, di- diagnosis, either with ultrasound imaging, with maternal fetal medicine, um, or additional genetic testing. Um, and, and, and so in these areas, you not only have uh, limitations of primary care providers, um, obese, family medicine, um, other healthcare providers for pregnant women, but also um, uh, fewer specialized health centers. So all these things kind of compound and add to women um, who are already living in medically underserved areas, getting delays to care, getting delays to diagnoses of um, complexities of pregnancy, um, and then getting delays to... Um, Adequate treatment of that, and you know, you know, there are there are multitude of of, uh, maternal and fetal conditions that can develop as pregnancy um, arises, Um, but to not to have a patient not be able to access care absolutely will contribute to. Morbidity, disability, um, and maternal death, um, and you know, you can I can talk about maternal health consequences, and unfortunately, the, you know, the rise in maternal mortality for for hours. Um, um, but absolutely, we see that areas that are medically underserved, rural areas, um, uh, women are um, more likely to die in pregnancy. Um, and specifically, black women are th- nearly three times more likely to die than white women in, in pregnancy. Um, and that is very much a, a reflection of um, historical medical racism um, that, that, has, uh, that has permeated our society.
0: Well, that was Dr. Shelley Tien that she's an OBGYN and an abortion provider at Planned Parenthood of Southeast and North Florida talking about the special um, concerns, I guess, for people who live in rural areas about accessing abortion medical care. And I just want to remind people that we're speaking with Amy Weintraub, the Reproductive Rights Program Director at Progress Florida, where you're listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. So Amy, your thoughts about how, how, access, how people in rural parts of this country, especially in the Southeast and perhaps especially in Florida, uh, how limiting, how, how there's additional limitations now put on their access.
4: For sure. Um, you know, 60% of Florida counties don't have any physicians who are willing to provide abortion 60%. So that means that those folks, those, and they are all rural counties or, you know, not in metropolitan centers. They, um, those folks have to travel to a big a big city in Florida to get the care they need for the most part. And in addition to all in addition to just the abortion providers, as Dr. Tian was mentioning, you know, there's all the other things that one has to attend to in order to get to the place where they know they have a healthy pregnancy or not. And way too often it's women who live in the countryside who are unable to get that, to make those appointments, to know soon enough in a pregnancy that, you know, that something needs to happen. And not only is it just lack of providers, it's also, and when we talk about systemic problems, we're talking about system problems, right? So problems with transportation, there is no public transportation to get from a rural area of Florida into somewhere like Tampa to get Higher level medical attention. We're also talking about lack of childcare systems. Someone who has to come to Tampa and and you know school's out at two thirty in their county, they got to be home. There's no you know maybe there's no after school county in the small town that no after school care in the small town that they live in. Maybe there's no overnight care if they have to spend the night because now as of you know this spring, folks have to um, see an abortion provider not just once but they have to. See, have two appointments and there must be at least 24 hours in between them. So, you know, it's all of these pressures that um, multiply on people who don't live in metropolitan centers.
0: Our guest is Amy Weintraub, the Reproductive Rights Program Director at Progress Florida. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. And if you'd like to join this conversation, you can call 813-239-9663. You can email dj at wmnf.org. Or text 813-433-0885. I uh, have a caller here. His name is Joe in Clearwater. And Joe says that um, his girlfriend had an abortion and he regrets it. Hi, Joe. Are you on the air?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my first girlfriend uh, after high school, uh, I got her pregnant. And she got pregnant. Okay. So her parents tried to talk her into uh, having an abortion. And uh, I was flipped out about it. I told her, I said, no, you know, and uh, if you do that, you never see me again. So anyway, to make a long story short, she had our son. I've never, neither one of us have ever regretted it. Okay. We broke up uh, a few years later and I had, uh, you know, I had girlfriends uh, after that. And I remember one of them, um, I got pregnant and, uh, you know, I always wondered if she was cheating on me or not. And she decided to have an abortion and I went along with it. Okay. That's the one thing that haunts me now. It's, you know, it was a big mistake. Uh, it's the one thing that haunts me. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of puts me in fear of going to hell for having done that. It's the worst thing I ever did. I lost my way, but I changed back again, you know. And I think people do change their mind on things. They, you know, they grow older. They uh, they see things differently. So I don't see any big deal with Herschel Walker. He, if he actually
4: did that.
0: All right. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for your thoughts. And Amy, any response?
4: Well, I do know that most people who have abortions, the and by most, I mean over 90%, there have been studies done, sociological, psychological studies done of people who have, have had abortion care and immediately following the abortion, their number one feeling is relief. And that feeling of relief holds when they're, study, when they're asked again, a year later and five years later, the vast majority of them still feel relief. And, you know, once someone's decided to have an abortion, they should be able to access that care without stigmatizing, without, and with support from us, from us as a community. It is a normal health care option. And in fact, one in four American women will access abortion care during their childbearing years. It is a normal, safe, typical um, health care procedure.
0: Our guest is Amy Weintraub, the Reproductive Rights Program Director at Progress Florida, and you're listening to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. This is WMNF's Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan. So uh, it's not just Florida that has placed further restrictions on abortion care. What are we seeing in some of the other states that have similar restrictions to Florida or even um, have made abortion access even more difficult?
4: Yes, all of our surrounding states is even more restrictive than here. We heard the doctors from Planned Parenthood and the other um, the other uh, folks talking about that that more and more people are coming from our neighboring states or two states away to get care here. Currently, we're a safe haven for people who need who need um, to end a pregnancy for whatever reason, even though we can only provide that care up to 15 weeks of pregnancy. So um anyway, absolutely the restrictions are much more severe in other states, and we've got to keep that from happening here in, in Florida. If, if if oh sorry. Please go ahead. I was just gonna say that, you know, if if it's protecting abortion rights here in Florida is not just important for Floridians, but it's important for the entire South.
0: We heard from those doctors and others at Planned Parenthood that that there were that the limits are, limitations on restrictions on abortion that is have limited people who are maybe later than they thought they were in their pregnancy. And and so one of the things they talked about is there was no longer an option after ten weeks of getting a, a medical a, abortion, like a, a prescription, I guess it is, abortion. And so because Florida now restricts you from after 15 weeks that that made the options that people had after those, those 10 weeks had been passed were that they would limited those options. So I'm not explaining that very well. Maybe you can take it from here, Amy. And and what do we know about the options that people have for non-surgical abortions? I guess it's prescription abortions and how that's limiting um, in time.
4: I think the situation they were talking about was someone who uh, once they found out that they were pregnant, they were hoping to um, to use abortion pills to end the pregnancy. Um, because this was the person who thought that that all of her uh, pregnancy symptoms were long COVID. I think that's what um, the the situation was. But by the time she figured it out that it wasn't long COVID, that in fact she was pregnant again and she already had a newborn, it was too late for her to use the abortion pills because abortion pills can really only safely be used up to twelve weeks. And many doctors here in Florida only prescribe it up to ten or eleven. So anyway, um, yes, that that was the situation there. Abortion pills are um, a, a, a certainly a viable option for abortion, and more than half of the abortion patients now are choosing are choosing that method. And interestingly, because of Restrictions and because of costs, more and more Americans are using creative approaches to access these pills, including um, obtaining them through international medical practices and vendors, and more information about that can be found at aidaccess.org, aidaccess.org. But anyway, yeah, it, abortion pills are something that are, are certainly growing in popularity.
0: And we have uh, maybe time for a very quick call from Barbara in Tampa. Hi, Barbara. You'd like to respond to the gentleman from Clearwater.
5: Hi, good morning. I'd just like to say that he's not the one that would have had to carry the child and birth it. And then if he was so interested in having control over the situation, he should have worn a condom because, you know, ultimately he's not carrying the child and he's not doing anything to prevent the pregnancy that I'm aware of. He's just looking back and saying, oh, woe is me. But I think all women should use condoms always. Do not don't, do not get yourself a chance to get pregnant because now things are so unfair and so biased, and these people that say they want to keep children alive don't want to pay for education or health care or help families. So just please do what you can not to get pregnant, carry condoms.
0: Thank you. Barbara, thank you so much for that call. I really appreciate it. And as we wrap up, Amy, I would just want to thank you for coming back on WMNF's Tuesday Cafe.
4: Always a pleasure, Sean. Thanks for
0: having me. I'm really glad you could join us. Amy Weintraub is Reproductive Rights Program Director at Progress Florida. And if you missed any of this interview, you can watch it beginning this afternoon. It'll be on WMNF.org. I want to thank our phone screener, John Dung. You've been listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. Next week is Election Day, and we'll talk to local supervisors of elections to find out about turnout and whether there have been any any troubles at the polls. And certainly if you notice anything fishy at your polling location, give us a call during my show or anytime throughout the day. Uh, or you can email me, it's sean at wmnf.org, S-E-A-N. And if you like the programming on 88.5 FM, please consider donating to wmnf.org. Thank you to everyone who's already a member. In this time slot tomorrow, Shelley will host Midpoint. Next up is Wavemakers with Janet and Tom Sherberger. They'll talk about the election with political consultant Maya Brown. Thanks so much for listening to WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland.